right, we're gonna, we're gonna have a look at Matthew 25, um, a parable that Jesus gave us. Um, and we're gonna put a bookmark in it for a second um, and then come back to it after a little bit. Um, so let's just read together. And if you would join me and just stand together. And we do this not out of religion, and we might not even do this every week, but this is for honor, to honor what we're reading, what we're hearing, but it's also for focus, right? Sometimes we just wait for our focus or our attention to be grabbed. We don't want to wait for that. We want to give it to him right away because he's already gotten our attention, right? Um, Matthew 25. This is Jesus speaking a parable, and he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey He's talking about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven. And he's speaking to a Jewish audience, particularly. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, and to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. What a beautiful invitation. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master said, you wicked, lazy servant. Remember, this is Jesus speaking so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed well then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers like at least you'll get four percent interest that way so that so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a sobering passage of scripture. So before we go any further, let's, read, let's pray and... Um, just invite the Lord, His presence, the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. So Jesus, we just, we love you. 
We honor you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we just are so in awe and enamored by who you are and what you've done. And Lord, we come again to that realization this morning of how good you are and how faithful you are, how beautiful you are. And so may our hearts and our minds encounter your beauty in this text, in your word. May we find you in fullness in your word today. So would you bless our hearts as we yield them to you, to your spirit. And we say yes to everything that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. You guys can take your seats. Tiffany, thank you very much. Hey, shout out worship team, by the way. Thank you for, yeah. Thank you guys for pointing us to Jesus so beautiful, beautifully today. Who's been with us for the last couple of weeks? We've been having this conversation around this idea of for freedom's sake. I hope that language sticks with you. It's for freedom's sake that you've been set free. And we get this language out of Galatians 5.1. And we're going to sit in this scripture for a few weeks. So get used to me reading this to you as we begin. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not burden yourselves again with the yoke of slavery. Or as we've discussed, don't entangle yourselves again. Don't get into a complicated relationship with slavery. It's literally what he means. You've been set free. Don't entangle yourself again with what he set you free from. You're not a victim of this entanglement. You yourself have become entangled because he set you free. So we've been talking about what it means to live in freedom. And freedom is practice, right? It's not first a feeling. It is a practice. This is important for us to remember and understand because there's times that you might not feel free. But objectively, you are free. He has set you free by his blood on the cross long before you were aware. While we were still sinners, he died for us. So if you want to mess with the truth, you can do so all day long. It's a losing battle. Many of us consider whether or not we're free, but the blood of Jesus speaks. It speaks a better word than you can speak. You are free. The problem, as we review, is that we get into complicated relationships with the life that we used to have before he set us free, right? This is not a new idea. This is actually a big idea that played out all throughout scripture, all throughout history, the history of God and his people. And we're going to read together in Joshua chapter 5. And this passage has been something that has marked my heart, marked our community. But we're going to go back into it. We're going to have a look at what God is doing as he reveals himself to his people. But to set this up, to frame this, Joshua 5, you have the children of Israel, right, that have been released, set free from captivity, from slavery in Egypt. And to fast forward the story, for 40 years they wandered the wilderness because they couldn't get a grasp on what God wanted them to get a grasp on. And it wasn't religious ideas or practices. It was getting a grasp on his nature. 
He wanted to reveal himself to his people. And after 40 years, they still couldn't grab for themselves who God was revealing himself to be. And is that not the case for our lives sometimes, that God is incessantly revealing himself to us? Like that is his obsession. That's why he sent Jesus to reveal himself to us. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to testify to our hearts of who he is. This is what he was doing to them the whole time in the wilderness. But finally, that generation that could not grasp who he, who he was, they, had, they all died out. So now he had a new generation to work with. And we, here we have that new generation on the banks of the Jordan River. And then he says, here's the promise then. The Jordan River parts. They go to the other side. And he stops them. You guys remember what happened next? He says, all of you who were not circumcised on the journey, we're going to circumcise you. He marks them. He shows them something. He says, you are no longer a slave. You are my son. You are no longer slaves in Egypt. You are my children. It's necessary that you understand not just who I am in your life, but who you are to me. You need to know who you are before you step into the promise. Because if you approach the promise as a slave, you will build something dramatically different than what you would knowing you're a son. This is a big deal for the Lord. He has this entire promise, the promised land set up for them. But the promise wasn't just for them. It was for the entire world through them. That God would reveal his nature to a people and through him revealing his nature to them and them assuming his nature as their own, he would bless the entire world. It mattered that they knew that they weren't slaves anymore. And so now, mark of covenant, circumcision, and praise God for the new covenant. We don't have to have a circumcision party after church today. We have a different seal, a different sign. Let's just take a praise break. We don't, we, don't sing, we don't sing songs about that. Implications of the new covenant. So Joshua chapter 5, 9 to 12, they cross the Jordan. They're in the promise, like right at the banks of it. God stops them. Beautiful revelations in this space. But I think there's something new God wants us to see today. Verse 9 says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. So in the circumcision, in the mark of covenant, he rolled away the reproach, or in other words, the shame of slavery. I mark you today as sons, you're no longer slaves. And then it says, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. This is important. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Other translations say corn. In verse 12, the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. And there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. So he marks them. He cuts them. 
And then they celebrate Passover. And remember, Passover was this remembrance of God delivering them by the blood of the lamb from slavery. And the angel of death passed over. Remember all the houses that had blood on the doorpost. Prince of Egypt, right? My wife still cries when she watches that movie. They celebrate Passover. In other words, they remember that God, by his mighty hand, set them free from slavery. This is really important. Because they were acknowledging in celebrating Passover that they were objectively free. Even though their parents, the generation before, didn't act free, they acknowledged by this remembrance of the Passover that they were free. This is important. Because even though they were free, they were no longer enslaved from Egypt. In fact, it was 40 years prior, they still had a complicated relationship with slavery. Why was God bringing up Egypt 40 years later? He says, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. In other words, the shame of slavery. He's saying this, I've taken you out of Egypt, but I still have to take Egypt out of you. 40 years later, they were still being haunted in their mindsets and their behavior of the life that their parents, generation before, lived for 400 years. And God, his, the Father, recognized that you're still operating as slaves even though you're free. I've given you everything you need, and now you're in the promise, but it's pertinent. It is pertinent that we deal with these mindsets so you can actually walk in freedom. This is why he marked them. And he marks them with this covenant. It's a sign. It's a seal. Saying, you're no longer slaves. You are sons. And anytime the men would look down. <laughs> For real, why do you think? He marked them externally. Literal, external sign that you have covenant with the Most High, yeah. Yahweh. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are getting awkward. This is the Bible. The reality of the sign, I keep on pointing down. Sorry, guys. The, the reality of this sign, the re, Jesus, please. The reality of the sign pointed to an event that happened 40 years prior. Let's sit in this tension for a moment. It wasn't a new idea. He was just reminding them in a powerful and invasive way that they were sons. Praise God for when he invades. When he slaps you on the face and touches you in vulnerable places to remind you that you're not a slave, you're a son. Because it's only a father who can touch you in vulnerable places and it be simultaneously a beautiful thing. When he goes into the places of pain an identity crisis in your heart, you want nobody to touch it, but when the Father in his love comes into that place and touches it, it's a reminder that you're not enslaved to that thing anymore because you have a Father who wants to touch and heal and set you free. So that what was pain and was an identity crisis won't cause you to walk with a limp anymore because that's what you've been doing. He comes as a father and says, this is not what it looks like to walk as a child a son or a daughter. Praise God. So what was going on this entire time? They're set free. You're free. 
You know, Moses, let my people go. And they were let go. They're free. 40 years later, they're still wondering whether or not they're free. What was happening the entire time? Well, here's what God said. This is his interpretation of what was happening. He says, in the wilderness, it's Deuteronomy 1. In the wilderness, you saw how the Lord, Yahweh, your God, carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. It wasn't that they didn't have a father, and it wasn't that they weren't sons and daughters. It was that they didn't recognize that this entire time, while they were whining, complaining, wanting to go back to slavery, him and his goodness was carrying them. Even when you have mindsets that are driving you to places other than his freedom, he is still carrying you. It might look like the wilderness. It might look like a lack of provision. It might look dry and weary, but he's carrying you. A father never abandons his child, especially the good father. This whole time, that was God's perspective. This whole time, in highs and lows, their rebellion, in their praise, he was showing them who he was. The Father was revealing his nature on the journey. Can I just say that you know more of God than you think you do? He's been present with you on your journey the entire time, whether you acknowledge it or not. And then when you find him for who he is, you're like, oh, you were there, and you did that, and you kept me here, and you were covering me here, and you didn't let this thing happen to me with them the entire time because he loves showing his children who he is. So this entire time, for 40 years, he was revealing his nature to them. But now it was time for them to understand who they were. You missed it. This is the entire point. It wasn't about God showing them who he was, because he did that for 40 years. It was now time for them to understand who they were in him. He had this promise before them. But the promise and the fulfillment of it required their participation. God had a plan, and his plan was to bless as he manifested himself through this nation, through this culture. He wasn't going around them to bless the world. He was going through them to bless the world. It wasn't enough to know who God was. They had to know who they were in order to live in the blessing that was available. I bring this up all the time. Darius Daniel said it this way, something like this. God's preferred vision for your life will not be your experience without your participation. God has a beautiful vision for your life, but it requires your participation to experience it. It's what it means to be a child, a son or a daughter. Because what you build as sons and daughters will look dramatically different than what you build as slaves. And God has given you something to build. God has given you something to steward. God has given you something to invest into. He's placed it right in your hands, and he says, now that it's in your hands, you need to think like a child with a father who gave you all of this. You can't think like a slave anymore. This is the care of God in our lives. He doesn't just set it and forget it. Go have fun. No. And this is all Ephesians 1. This is New Covenant, right? 
But in the new covenant, it's no longer external circumcision. It is a mark, a seal of the Holy Spirit. But that Holy Spirit that we have once we place our faith in him testifies to our heart before it gives us the goosebumps, before it gives us the signs and the wonders, before it gives us power, it gives us identity. He in us screams, like I say, haunts us every day, this Holy Ghost. You are a son. You are a daughter. This is who you are, and you can't avoid it anymore. And so instead of external mark of circumcision, we get an internal mark, a sign, a seal that you are a child of God. No longer a slave, you're his. This is exciting. You're free, you're a child. And here's the big revelation. Now you need to learn to live like it. Many of us just stop in the wonder of, yeah, I'm a child of God. Yeah, but that means something for your life. And it means you can't operate like a slave anymore. There is accountability now in your identity. Now that you know who you are, you're going to be held to account. I'm glad you said yeah to that. Remember, we're getting back to Matthew 25. He's saying to these wanderers, He's saying the mindsets of slavery are still hanging around. You're free, but you're still thinking like a slave. Remember Shawshank, right? He got out, read, got out, but he was still fantasizing about how to get back in because it was more comfortable to be in that environment of slavery than it was trying to figure out how to live in freedom. And although that might be, not be that overt and explicit in our lives, there's places in us that don't know how to identify in the newness of life that God has given us. And so we just go with what we knew. This is how I thought before, and I don't know any different now, so I'm just going to continue to think this way. And many of us are wondering, 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 there we go, wondering why we're not living in the fullness of blessing that is promised to us. So though we're walking in the fullness of it, we're not able to engage with it the way that God has called us to. Receive the blessing that he's provided in it because it requires you to know who you are and to think accordingly. So he says, I've worked you out of Egypt. Now I have to work Egypt out of you. Even though you've been adopted, you're still acting like an orphan. Anybody heard this indictment in church before? They have an orphan spirit. What does that mean? I think that's exactly the thing that God is identifying in all of us. There's mindsets that are still living around from when you did not have a parent. But now that you do, those things aren't applicable anymore. They got to go. This is why we have Jesus teaching about the kingdom. He doesn't just show up and say, you're free. Although he comes and he proclaims king, the kingdom, he proclaims freedom, but he also teaches about what it means to be free, about what it looks like to walk in his kingdom. Right? This is Ephesians 4. Look at this. This is Paul. He's talking about like interpersonal relationships in the church and how there's like gossiping and bickering and like weird stuff happening. And then verse 20 of Ephesians 4, he says, That, however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life 
to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying, like, you know better than to think like that. That's how you used to think. But guess where he places the responsibility? He doesn't pray for an encounter. Oh, if they just get another touch of the... No, they've already had the touch of the Holy Spirit. They know who they are. He says, you put it off. Be renewed in the way you think. I feel like the world has better language about this than we would even adopt in the church. Of course, the Bible's got better language, but that we even consider for our lives. Like, what does it look like to build a habit in your life? Like, throw on any podcast, and they're going to tell you exactly how to change the way you think. To stop thinking this way and start thinking this way over and over and over and over again until a habit is formed and your identity is changed. We have the Holy Spirit who testifies and empowers a change in our minds. That's why Paul is saying, guys, just stop it. Receive what he's come to give you. Let your mind be washed. Cleansed by the word, by truth. We don't have to do what the world calls us. They're just trying to find their way into something that we already have. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be renewed in the attitudes of your mind, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires. That's, that's old. Put on Christ. Exchange it. Not slavery thinking. This is son, daughter thinking. It's quite simple. That's why Paul is being quite blunt. Here's the gospel. Now live like it. Here's the big idea today. This is your responsibility. He set us free. And he models for us how to live free in Jesus. Now it's our responsibility to live free. It's for freedom's sake that you've been set free. Now stand firm and do not burden yourselves again with the yoke of slavery. So here we are, Joshua 5. They just crossed the river and now they're like heading into this long-awaited promise. So they look back, they celebrate Passover. You and I, we have to remember what God brought us out of to truly see what he's brought us into. Okay? We have to remember. This is Ephesians 2. You were once deserving of wrath, but now because of his rich mercy. That frames the conversation. So they celebrate Passover. They've been set free. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm free. Now this beautiful promise in front of me requires that I live in remembrance of the freedom that he brought me. It's what we sang this morning. This is how we remember. Don't forget what he's brought you out of. Because in times when you don't feel free, you can tell yourself the truth. My freedom isn't determined by what I do or what I feel or how I act. My freedom is determined by what he's done. That's an important anchor for our soul. Remember, freedom is not first a feeling. It is a practice. 
It's practical. We need to do things that look like freedom and think ways that look like freedom. So Joshua 5, again, verse 11, the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And then the manna stopped. Remember God's miraculous provision for 40 years that came out of nowhere in the wilderness? Like every morning it showed up. Then it didn't. It stopped the day after they ate this food from the land and there was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. For 40 years, God provided for his children this, year, this way, right? Jehovah Jireh, the God who will see to it. He did it. They didn't have food. They didn't have an ability to make food. So he gave it to them. This is the beautiful nature of our father, isn't it? Manna, fresh, every day. It wasn't everything they wanted, but it was everything they needed. And it pointed straight to Jesus. And Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, remember that bread that I provided for you, that Father provided for you? That was me. I'm the bread of life. I am what you need in the wilderness as you travel. How many blessings do we have that we don't consider blessings anymore? And then in that, we miss Jesus. We miss that this blessing is actually the expression of Jesus in our lives because we don't see it for what it is. We don't see the blessings for who they point to. And we look at the blessings and we say, that's not enough. And in saying that, we're like, Jesus, you are not enough. It wasn't everything they wanted, but it was everything they needed. James 1, right? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He wasn't just giving him, them bread. He was giving them his nature. This is so important for us. He was showing them the nature of the Father, that if you have need, I have what you need in your need. Remember, they didn't have water. Strike the rock. Water flows out. New Testament, new covenant. The writer says that was Jesus. And when he is struck on the cross, everything you need will flow from him. If we reject his provision, we reject the nature of God in the provision. This is important about our attitudes and our hearts. And grumbling about his provision at times... They were grumbling about his nature. Yikes. If his nature is the thing that we need to walk in blessing, then we're missing what's right in front of us. Could God be revealing himself to you in the ways that you are despising and condescending and looking over? Could you see his provision in a dollar when you're asking for thousands? Food for thought. So he provided manna for all these years, and then there was a shift, a coming of age, if you will. The manna stopped, and it says that they ate produce from the land. For years, these children were spoon-fed by God. But now that you know who I am, and now that you know who you are, the blessing will come as a result of you stewarding what I've given you. 
I have shown you that I'm faithful. Now I'm going to show you how to be faithful. Was this not about the nature of God being manifest in the nature of his people? And we're like, God, it's your responsibility to be faithful. And he's like, yeah, it is. Now, as my son, I want to show you how to be like me. He says, my nature will become your nature because, God is saying, the blessing that I have for you requires, hear me, requires your faithfulness. The promise and the blessing in it for everyone here and everyone listening requires that you be faithful. Yahweh wasn't just interested in showing them who he was. He was interested in showing them who they were. There was a moment when I went to Guatemala a couple years ago. And it was a marked moment in my life. Because prior to this, I'm struggling a lot with like consistency, struggling with the call on my life being a little bit more than I could handle. You know, preaching fairly inspired sometimes and then coming with nothing the next and inconsistent rhythms in my life. And right before I went to Guatemala, this is probably two years ago, I remember kind of, I was actually a Joe Rogan podcast, I'll admit it. (laughs) And there was a guy on there being interviewed and he was talking about doing hard things and how this is important for us. And for whatever reason, it hit my heart in a peculiar way. And I realized that I was born to do hard things. My slave nature was like, no, 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 like just be comfortable and just relax, settle. But something clicked in me. It just so happened that I was flying to Guatemala the next day to have a little retreat. And on this retreat, I'm like running every day and like eating healthy and like spending intimate time with the Lord and like working to seek his presence, even when it wasn't coming when I thought it would come or quickly. Like, God, where are you? I sat and said, no, I'm born to do hard things. And so if God, you're asking me to seek you, I'm going to seek you. And so I'm sitting with the Lord, and I came back, this incredible experience in Guatemala, I came back, and my reflection of that trip was simply this, God showed me who I am. For years, he was showing me who he was, and now he was saying, hey, Ryan, you walking in the blessing and the fulfillment of the promise in my life requires you to know who you are, and guess what, Ryan, you were born to do hard things, so I'm going to set up environments in which you can be who you were born to be. And so from that moment on, I'm like, there's hard things in front of me. Oh, I know who I am. He marked me. He needed me to know because the whole time I was whining, I'm like, God, this is too hard. You've left me. Why, why, aren't, why aren't you doing the thing you promised? And the whole time he's looking at me, son, you're free. Stop thinking like you're not. It marked me. He never stops being faithful, does he? Can we just agree as the people of God? 
He never stops being faithful. The scriptures say even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Revelation, it says there's a rider on a horse and he's got two names, faithful and true. It's who he is. He can never stop being who he is. But the expression of his faithfulness changes. As a father, I get this. I have three kids, right? And this is the only like parenting tip I have for you, okay? I have three kids, and all of them, each of them, I should say, are at different stages of being able to wipe their own bum. <laughs> I've talked with you through this before, but it's the best way I can understand God, okay? <laughs> all of them. I have a two-year-old, I have a five-year-old, and I have a seven-year-old. My two-year-old obviously needs a little help. My five-year-old shouldn't need help. He asks for it at times. But he's five. My seven-year-old, I'm not going anywhere near that. <laughs> There's a time in my fathering, in my parenting, that I am a bad father if I don't wipe their bum. But then there comes a time that in my parenting, I am a bad father if I do wipe their bum. Come on. <laughs> Anybody know the father more? I'm like, God, I get it. I get you. Or my son, he like finishes his cereal in the morning. He's five years old. He's like, Dad, can you give me more cereal? I'm like, no. You got legs. Go get it yourself. If my daughter, who is two, asked me for some cereal, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm teetering. But she can't get it the same way that her older brother can. And so now my faithfulness to them is expressed differently. At one time, it was appropriate for me to do it for them. At another time, it is grossly inappropriate for me to do it for them. Is this not what God is doing with his children? For a season, I wanted to show myself to you in manna every day. Miraculous provision. But now I want to show you what it means to do it yourself. Because I've taught you enough to, for you to be equipped so that you can walk in your own blessing. So he's fathering them. For years I showed you my blessing this way. But now, and listen, I need you to know that some of you may be confused about the season you're at in life. Could it be God marking a shift? I used to walk into church when I came back to the Lord in my early 20s, and I would go to church and I would cry. Well, not, I would mist. I would, my eyes would get misty. <laughs> I would come and I would feel his presence every single week, and the Lord was just inundating me with his love and bringing me back, showing me who he was. And there was a time after that where it didn't stop. It wasn't happening as much. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Where it's like he's giving me everything I need and I can't just help but receive it. It's amazing. And then it starts to shift. It starts to change a little bit. I'm like, God, have you changed or have I changed? You have, son. Not for the negative, but for the better. Now you know my nature. I want to see what you do when you feel like you're not experiencing my nature. 
or learn how to experience his nature in a different way. So the man has stopped. It was now time to steward the promise. And by the way, friends, Scripture, the New Testament says, the manna from heaven is the word of God. But sometimes, listen, you don't need a new word from God. You don't need more manna. You just need to steward the word he's already given you. And maybe that's the blessing. You just take care of what he's already shown you. So this season of my life, I actually had to learn to partner with him. It was a relationship. I had to learn to find out what he loves and to give him what he loves rather than just sitting back and be like, God, give me what I love. (laughs) Is that not how relationships work? So we see this accountability, right? And that's what it is in Deuteronomy 28. He says this, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. Beautiful. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you. Listen, blessings will accompany you. That sounds pretty great. My goodness and mercy will follow you all the days. You don't have to chase it. It will chase you. Listen to him. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd, and the lambs of your flock. Anybody got lambs? If you did, they'd be blessed. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out, and on and on and on. Read Deuteronomy 28. And then he says if you live in disobedience, it's going to look more like curse, and it will bless you. I want you to hear something here today, though. There's accountability. I've shown you what it means. I've shown you who I am. I've shown you what it means to walk in blessing. Now walk in it. Here's the law. But the scriptures say that you and I don't have the law of death anymore, which that pointed to. We have the law of spirit in Jesus. We have something greater than that. So if you live how I taught you to live, God is saying you'll be blessed. It's now time to work out what I've worked in. It's now time to apply what I've shown you. This is responsibility he's given them. In other words, this big, big biblical narrative, you will reap what you sow. You can't escape it. I'm faithful to my word, God is saying. Now the blessing requires that you be faithful to my word. I know, I know where, this is a mature word. Some of you just came and like, I just want to be blessed today. And that's what he wants for you too. It just might look different this season than the last. So this big biblical narrative. God in his nature knows how to give us his best. Would you agree? Yeah. But God in his nature also knows how to get the best out of us. Everybody knows what movie I'm talking about. I will not quote it. Well, tell you the title. I will quote it. Of the guy in his mom's basement, and he's yelling up the stairs, Meatloaf! Mom, meatloaf! That's how we are with God sometimes. We're still living in our mom's basement, screaming up for meatloaf. 
Am I not allowed to preach to the crowd here? <laughs> All right, fine. I'll leave it alone. This is the biblical narrative, right, of stewardship. Care for and honor what he's given you. Care for and honor what he's given you. That's what it means to be faithful. You'll eat, he's saying, and you're going to eat well when you steward the land, when you obey my commands, when you do it the way that I've called you to do it. He taught them faith for manna, right? You, at the end of the day, run out of food. Don't worry. I'm bringing food in the morning. <laughs> Some of us have been here. He taught them faith for manna. Now he's teaching them faith for farming. This is important. But we've gone through big changes in the world since then, right? Industrialization. Like we don't, we don't like farm anymore. Well, of course we do. But like as a society, we're all not farmers anymore. Like we've moved from farming to manufacturing. And by the way, we're in another big shift right now in our world. Like big changes are afoot, right? We, we learn about planting seeds in kindergarten. And then it like stops there. That's all we know. Or like COVID, we start gardening and we, we figure this out. Any, any COVID gardeners? Yeah. Thank God that what he's talking about isn't farming. What he's talking about is resource. And whether you're a farmer or not, you have resource. He's talking about his blessing coming through our stewardship of what he's given us. What are our resources? Time, opportunities, relationships. Are those not resources? And most predominantly, money. Bring back in Matthew 25. And by the way, one of the greatest resources God has given you, if you're married, is your marriage. And many of us, many of us are saying, why is this thing not blessed? Let's be serious. You're not married yet, young lady. You can't laugh. <laughs> Why is this not blessed? And God is saying, if you acted like a son and you like a daughter and stewarded what I gave you, it will be blessed. It's as simple as that. When God fix her. <laughs> Faith for manna, faith for farming. It's different. This is why Jesus talked about money so, so much. He's showing us what it means to steward into blessing. Listen, steward into blessing what he's given us. It is a mark of sonship. Anybody love their relationship with their heavenly father? Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. That relationship needs to be stewarded. It means it needs to look a certain way in your life. It can't just be this lovey-dovey feeling that we get about God. No, he wants to do something via your relationship with him. So Jesus, his whole mission, as we talked about last week, underneath all of his commands and instructions in the kingdom, where I want you to know how good your father is. And if you knew how good he was, you wouldn't chase after the things the pagans chased after. 
Because he's your father and he knows what you need and he will give you what you need as you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The whole mission was, look how good your father is. You know why Jesus sent the son? Not just to point to himself. Jesus sent the son to show us what it looks like to be a son. To be a daughter. He showed us the other side of the story. This is what humanity looks like as it walks in relationship with the father. Here is the manifestation of a life who knows that he's a son and does everything from sonship. So in his teachings about money, he's not just showing us who the father is, he's showing us who we are in the father. This is a big deal. This is not a seminar on how to invest wisely in today's stock market. Here's my pick for tomorrow. No. He's teaching about God's nature and he's teaching about our nature with money. So Matthew 25, remember this story. This master left his servants with money, with bags of gold, one, five, one, two, and one, one. And he says that he gave each according to their ability. This is important. So five had the ability to steward five, two, the ability to steward two, one, the ability to steward one. And this context here is predominantly, as I said earlier, to a Hebrew audience. This is important. It's about accountability with what they've been given. And it's more than just money. They've been given a revelation before you and I of Yahweh. And Jesus is looking at the Jewish audience and he's saying, you're going to be held to account for what you do with what you know. Okay? Most of us are not in that audience. We're not... Jewish people who were raised with the law and with the Torah, pointing to Jesus. But even though we're not, Jesus is still teaching us a principle of his kingdom. The point of this passage is very clear. One day, Jesus will return in glory. Did you know this? He will return and he will hold you to account with what he's given you. Stop smiling, this is not a smiling point. You're still thinking about the roof falling. I, I, need, I need, listen, I need to give you what the Lord wants to give today. I'm gonna pace my way through this. This is about accountability. Jesus will return and find out what you did with what he gave you. There will be accountability for what he gave you. But what he gave you was according to your ability to steward it. This passage is not for fear. It is for focus. Understand who he is here. The accountability is not first, what did you do with what I gave you? The accountability first is this, did you know me? And secondly, do you know who you are in me? That's the accountability. But those two things are tested in what we do with what we have. Because what you do with what you have reveals who you know him to be and who you know yourself to be in him. This is why God says, before I give you anything, 
children of Israel, you need to know not just who I am, but who you are in me. Because what you do with the promise will reveal whether or not you know me. And it was pertinent to my plan, God is saying, that my nature manifests in this nation and through this nation. That the culture of this nation is a reflection of who I am. There is accountability. The fear of God is not being afraid of God. It says this one who had one bag was in essence afraid of what he thought the nature of the master to be. And it caused him to do some weird things with what he was given, like bury it in a hole because of his perception of the master. Fear of God is not being afraid of God. The fear of God, as I said last week, is having our nature informed by his nature. That's what it is, to have your behavior informed by his nature. Show me you fear God by what you do with what he's given you. You say you fear God, but show it to me. With what you do, with what he's given you. So five talents, he gives them five more, right? He steward, or five talents, and he, he makes five more with it. And this is the response of the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness or master's joy. Two talents. He made two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's same response. Five to ten. Two to four. Same response. It wasn't about the amount. It was what they did with the amount. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Look at the connection, right, between who he thought the master to be and what he did with the resource he was given. What he did with what he had revealed who he knew God to be. Simple. There's a lot here. I'm not going to get into a ton, but I'm going to pull out what I think is necessary that God wants to speak to us today. God gave them, like the master being representative of God in the parable, God gave them responsibility based on their ability. Okay, And it was his discretion. It was not more than they could handle, and it was not less than they were able to handle. You need to understand this about your life. God gives you resource based upon your ability to steward it. If he gave it to you, it's not too much for you. If the problem exists in front of you, and he says, steward that hard ground, that's fallow ground, it's difficult. But because I gave it to you, you know already that I've given you what you need to steward it well. And many of us were like, God, why didn't you give me more? Why wasn't I set up in life like them? And it's his discretion that gave five, two, and one. But if we look across the aisle to the one who got five, we would never consider our two significant. And if we don't consider it too significant, we will not steward it like it's significant. God gives through his discretion. Yeah. 
And then he waited to see what they did with what they had. Listen, before he gave them more. Sam, team, Tiff, you guys can come back up. The master waited to see what they did with what he gave them before he gave them more. Anybody asking for more? Nobody wants to say it. Well, he's the God who is able to do far more abundantly than you can ask, think, or imagine. According to his power at work, it's in us. You should be asking for more. But what if he turns around and asks for more? So he waited to see what they did with what they had before he gave them more. But listen to this. When he gave them more, it wasn't based on their ability this time. It was based on their faithfulness. Please, I want to liberate some people today. Doesn't matter what you start with. Be faithful with it. And he's going to give you more, not based on your ability. He's going to give you more based on your faithfulness. You've been faithful with little, now I'll make you ruler over much. He said the same thing to five, he said the same thing to two, and I think he wanted to say the same thing to one. God knows that I don't inherently from birth have the ability to do what I've done. I mean it. But I hope somewhere along the journey, God gave me more because I showed him that I wanted to be faithful with what he gave me. He says, because you have been faithful with little, I will make you ruler over much. Many of us are asking God for more. But hear me, you're not being faithful with what he's already given you. This is not for judgment. This is for blessing. God reveals to us the areas in which we've been walking in slavery. Not so we can point the finger and say, shame on you. So we can say, guys, you don't have to be like that anymore. I set you free from that mindset, from that thinking. Here's what sonship looks like. And his message is always this, start today. still want some of us him to give us manna every day like I need money God can you just like sprinkle a little in my mailbox today please and I'm not saying God doesn't work that way it's not a binary it's not a switch that he flips his nature is his nature we have faith for the miraculous don't we and we should but what about our faith for the mundane Honor the job he gave you. Receive the paycheck he gave you. Steward it well, every penny. Don't think of it little, because if you think of it little, you're not, there's no point in stewarding it. And he's just waiting to give you a promotion. He's waiting to exalt you. He's waiting to give you more. But please just be faithful. Know who you are with what I've given you. Show me that you know who I am in that small job. 
Show me that you know who you are in that little bit that I gave you. I just want to give you more. Did you know that God wants to be glorified through the blessings that He lavishes upon you? It says in Deuteronomy 28 that they will be looked at by all nations as blessed. Why? So they could ask the question, how do I get that blessing too? Know who you are in Him. Don't you think God wants to witness to the world to the blessings in your life? Of course He does. But He's not going to undermine how good of a father He is. Because you think you can do a better job at fathering than He can do. Be a better father. I am a perfect father. Forgive me for this. I'm not going to wipe your bum anymore. It's time that you need to wipe your own. Manna, the manna coming every day, that blessing was exclusively God's faithfulness, right? Nothing he could do. It just came. It was his faithfulness to show us who he is. The other blessing, the fruit of the land, requires our faithfulness to show us who we are. Anybody desperate to find out who you are? We're praying, God, come through. And he's going to come through. He's going to come through what he's placed in your hands. Thank you. Some of the best poetry. But hear me. God is responsible for what you don't have. That's his business. You are responsible for what you have. That's your business. Now, he's given us ways to handle what we have. We're going to talk more about that next week. But hear me, if you don't have what you need objectively, that is his arena. Oh, it is. But what if he wants to move through what he's already given you? And I'm, Listen, I'm not just talking about money. You want peace in your home? It's not going to go around your marriage. It's going to go through your marriage. He's going to teach you how to steward, be a faithful husband and a faithful wife. Let peace come from that place. Instead of just, God, please change my circumstance. I've given you everything you need as a son, as a daughter, to walk this out into the blessing I've provided. This is his nature. He's raising us. Me and my wife, in our own finances, there was a time when we stepped into ministry and we're like, we'll just accumulate money on our credit cards. I have faith that God can pay that off. And we weren't receiving a paycheck at that time. So it was a measure of like almost desperation. But it was a mindset still informed by slavery. Because we didn't give God an opportunity to do what he wanted to do in that situation. As we learned how to steward the little that we had. Because when we got more money... Our ideas of stewardship came with us. And I wasn't able to steward the lack. I also wasn't able to steward the plenty. I had faith for the manna that money can just show up and God can erase all of this debt. And God shows up and he's like, nope, not going to.
because I want you to know who you are. I want you to learn what it means to steward the resources that I give you, and he's gonna move through that. It's dramatically changed my life, dramatically changed my marriage. It's dramatically changed the way I think about every penny that comes through my house. Why? If you want to be found faithful, listen, you will be faithful. I want, I preach this whole message to tell you this. How do you be faithful? How? We, we want the tips and the tricks. I'm here to tell you, I can't give you more than Jesus gave us. Now, there's wisdom and strategies out there that is heaven born, but listen, it starts with knowing who he is and knowing who you are. And I need you to know something today. I need to speak straight to your heart. If you, like them, when he returns, want to be found faithful, you will be faithful. You don't need a seminar to start today and ask the question, how do I be faithful with what you've given me? If you just ask the question, you're already being faithful. And let him show you. You don't have to think with the desires of your flesh anymore. You don't have to buy that thing. You don't have to look at upon it this way anymore. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The scriptures tell us to take every thought captive. Did you know that there are instructions that God intended for you to generalize? Taking every thought captive isn't just about your mental health, it's also about your finances. Do you need to buy this? Take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Who is he and who am I in him? No, I don't need it. I just need to detox from that mindset. I did this for so long, but today is the day that I stop. And I'm gonna steward what you've given me with faithfulness. Because listen, I want to be found faithful. Hear my heart today, friends. I, Ryan Johnson, want when Jesus looks at me, whether it's right now or when he returns in the flesh, I want to be found faithful. Faithful with what he's given me. And it means something, honestly, hear me, for where I go to lunch today. It does. If you're having trouble in your budget, go home and make a sandwich. I'm, I'm being dead serious. If you're praying that God brings manna, he's like, no, there's manna in your fridge at home. You don't need. I, I need to. Faithful. That's faithfulness. And I'm learning more and more and more in my life that I need to be found faithful in every thought that I have. It's not perfection, but it's when I fall, I look at him, and then he points at what's in my heart. 
get back up, you're a son, keep going. When I feel overwhelmed, I look to him. He calls that faithful. Remember what I've done for you and this will be what you need in your time of need. You cannot leave this room today or turn off the YouTube stream without understanding the implications of what he's calling us to here. It's not perfection. Is if you have an opportunity to steward what's in front of you, take it. Every penny. I'm telling you, because I want to be found faithful, and this is not about positioning myself, I'm just saying the extent in which this has made room in my heart, every penny that comes through my home is accounted for. But that's the level he's called me to. I wasn't raised with that type of thinking. Nobody told me to do that. All I decided was, God, I want to be faithful. And I tried to make it happen in my own strength, in my own ways for a long time. Did you know there's something called decision fatigue? Where you just get tired of making decisions and your brain can't handle it anymore? That's why Joshua says, and I finish with this, in Joshua chapter 24, he looks at everybody and he says, make this decision first decide whom you will serve the gods of the land the Amorites you want to be enslaved to them or do you want to serve the one who set you free and when you make that decision it informs every other decision that you'll make I don't have to decide whether or not I'm going to go on a date with another woman it's not something that needs to go through my brain anymore because I wear this ring same thing with our Lord we're in covenant with him that then makes every decision moving forward faithfulness friends this is not just a word for your soul for your finances for your life for your marriage for your resources this is a word for our church did you know that there were plenty of people in arm's length of our church that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars we're, we're if you didn't know we're in a fundraising campaign right now we're you know, 450 or so thousand dollars, thank you. 100, we got a lot of money, but we need a lot more. And my mindset was like, oh, no big deal. There are plenty of people that can snap their fingers and make it happen. But you know what I realized? The more I sit with God in this, that just gets us out of what he wants to do in us. He is calling us as a community to be faithful with the little we have. I'm not waiting for manna. I wanna learn with you what it means to be sons and daughters. And you know where he's gonna go? Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So I love the pressure he's put us under right now. I'm not gonna go look out there for what God is doing in here. We are sons and daughters. It's now time, listen, it is now time to stop feeding on manna. It's time to start feeding on the produce of the promise. We're gonna cultivate something as a people because it's not just for us to get into a new space. No, that is an opportunity for us to reveal who we know him to be and who we know ourselves to be in him so that the city can see not just a great church with good branding, 
and a good message and good worship. No, so the city can see sons and daughters. I want to be found faithful. Do you? That is the answer that you need in your time of need. Let's pray. Thank you for letting me teach this morning. Before we respond as a church, if you're hearing this narrative and you're stuck on the slavery piece, I still feel like I'm a slave. I still feel like I can't overcome. I still feel like I can't figure this out. I'm not set free. I'm here to tell you right now that your freedom is not conditional on your work. Your freedom is bought, purchased, provided by the blood of Jesus on the cross. So if you in this place today want to be set free, all you have to do is by faith believe that Jesus died, shed his blood for you to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And that by placing your faith in him, you receive his righteousness. So if you today want to say yes to the salvation and freedom that Jesus offers from the cross, all you have to do is believe that Jesus died for your sin blood was shed to cleanse you to set you free but not only that he was buried and three days later father the father raised him from the grave and then he ascended into heaven he's now seated on the right hand of the father an unshakable and immovable throne if you today want to be released from slavery by the blood of Jesus every head bowed and every eye closed I just want you to lift your hands pray with you. I see your hands. Can we just all pray together? Just say, Jesus, thank you for your freedom. I am free because of your blood. And I receive your righteousness. And I give you my sin. I am forgiven. I am a child. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Let freedom reign. It's for freedom's sake that you are set free. If you prayed that, you believed it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, you are saved. But now it's time to learn to walk in it. For the rest of us, respond quickly today because your response is going to be mostly out of this room if you want to be found faithful with what he's given you I just want you to stand up as a sign and if you look around we are in a community of people that want to be found faithful because this is not just an individual message this is a message for the church body of Christ in this city that he's given us something to steward do you believe that can we just lift our hands if you're able to
say this, Jesus, I am yours and you are mine. And now I'm going to live like it. Help me by your spirit to be faithful with what you've given me. 